Well, praise God. Did you guys got a Bible? Amen. Anybody bring one? Right, right. Hey, there you go. I'm not opposed to iPads, iPhones. Uh, hey, what's that? Androids too, right? Yeah, why, why be uh, iOS only? I'm not opposed to electronic Bibles. I, I, I like both, but uh, either way, get something out so that you can know that I'm not just making this stuff up and you can go home and read it for yourself. I find great value and I hope you do too. I hope that when you go home, you reread what we read in these services and you pray through it and you read through it. And my hope for you is that you would read what came before it and what came after. Um, we don't have time in every service to read the whole book or the whole chapter. But I would encourage you to go through the context and read it again and see what God brings out to you. Uh, because there's power in that word. There's, there's, there's life in that word. Uh, the scripture says that that word is a sword that's, that's able to judge and to divide between joint and marrow, between uh, bone and marrow, between joint and, and soul and spirit, that it's able to rightly discern and judge what's in my own heart. That's an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a lot of ideas sometimes that I'm not sure if they came from God or came from me. Well, the scripture says that the word of God is able to discern and divide between soul and spirit. So, you know, some of my ideas come from my soul. They're just a thought. You know, they're just, maybe it's emotion, maybe it's reason and logic. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but there are times where I need to know, you know, is that just my thinking or is that what God is saying? And he says the scripture, the word of God, is able to divide between soul and spirit, and show you, okay, well, that's where that's coming from. So I'd encourage you to, to pray. Go back and, and read your notes. Go back and, and look at these verses again and pray through it and let God do some things in you. Um, I don't think that, uh, and I've said this to you before, but I really don't want any of us to see this as a class that we'll, we'll learn everything here, and then we can win at Bible trivia. We could win at Bible baseball later. We'll have the right answers for the fill in the blank, um, because I'll read the same verses for the rest of my life, and every time I read them, it doesn't matter how educated I am, every time I read them, I'm expecting that God is going to use that to do something in me. So it's not about learning the right answers tonight. It's about letting the word of God grow and, and, and be rooted in you. And it's really what we're going to talk about tonight as we go back to Revelation 3 and to the church of Philadelphia. Because we're going to see how the word worked in them, how, it, how they held on to the word. And it was that word that performed something in them. In, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, last week we gave you a bit of a background on Philadelphia and and the church in Philadelphia, which was a smaller church, probably one of the smallest um, in these seven churches. There's a couple that, that were under some intense pressure, Smyrna being another one. And uh, in fact, the churches that were probably under the most intense pressure were the ones that Jesus didn't really um, give them any real correction. He just said, I'm with you, you know, and, and I, I, I've put an open door in front of you. To Smyrna, he told them, I know your, what your poverty, I know what you're going through, and I'm with you. And uh, I'm going to keep you. Here he tells them, you know, I put an open door in front of you. I'm not going to, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world. So there's assurance for them. There's encouragement for them. Um, probably because they're in a place, it's not that they've done everything right. Because nobody's done everything right. No church is perfect. But probably because they're in a place where they are really under some intense persecution. Um, the greatest goal for them right now is not to fix everything, but 
but that they would keep their hope in Jesus, right? You know, there's a time to correct somebody. And when, when someone's fighting for their life in the hospital, it's probably not the time to go correct them on stuff, you know? That's probably not what they need to hear. Hey, you know, I made a list of the things you need to fix. You know, that's probably not the time. And so there, there are a couple churches here that Jesus addresses where he doesn't really have anything that he has against them. And you might say, well, it's because they're doing everything right. Or it may just be that what they need right now is the encouragement that he has to offer them. Um, in this message to Philadelphia, last week we talked about the fact that he said that I know your deeds, I know what you've been doing. I've placed an open door in front of you that nobody can shut. I have shut doors that nobody can open. He says, I have that key of David. I have that right. Now remember, they've been wiped out of the synagogue's books. Most of these are Jewish believers who have been kicked out of their synagogue. And when you're kicked out of your synagogue, your family doesn't want anything to do with you. Your, your people don't want anything to do with you. Um, when you're blotted out of their books, literally out of their book, when you're blotted out of that book, then the, because the Jews, like we said last week, the Jewish people uh, under the Roman rule for, for certain periods of time had certain exemptions as a strong minority. So there's a reason that Nero didn't blame the fire on the Jews. I don't know if you, if you know about the great fire in Rome, but the great fire in Rome hit certain areas harder than others. And it kind of left the area where most of the Jews were and where most of the Christians were alone. It didn't destroy those areas. And so when people started accusing the emperor of setting the fire to, to get rid of the slums, uh, he had to deflect the blame. So what he started to do was to blame I'm sure it popped in his head. Can we blame the Jews for this? Because the Jewish settlements were largely untouched. But they were too big of a minority to mess with. So they picked the Christians. Which was a smaller minority that people were already suspicious of. And that became the great Neronian persecution. Where Christians were used as lampposts. Lit on fire. Fed to lions. All that stuff. So we've come a lot later. By the time Jesus is dictating this book to John. There's a new emperor. It's been a couple emperors since Nero. We've got a guy named Domitian. But he's just as crazy. He thinks he's God. He thinks he's divine. So all across the empire, he is telling them that they must not only worship the Roman gods or whatever gods they worshiped before the Romans came along, but they've also got to worship Caesar as Lord. You know, it's interesting that, that one of the first primary messages of the early church was Jesus is Lord. That was, that was what they were proclaiming. And, it, it, you know, with, with so many uh, of, of truths and, and God's truths, there's a counterfeit. So one of the things that you had to say in a lot of these um, uh, settlements and further, ironically, the further out you got from Rome, the more hardcore these cities were to prove their loyalty to Caesar. A lot of times the governor's job was on the line. And, and if he, it looked like his people weren't properly honoring Caesar, he gets in trouble. So they proclaimed Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't say that, you're in trouble. If you, didn't, if you didn't offer sacrifices, if you didn't honor even the image of Caesar, you're in trouble. The Jews had an exemption. And everybody on the synagogue's list got out of saying Caesar is Lord and, and performing rites of worship to Caesar. That's why you don't see a great Jewish persecution during this time. But you see a great persecution of Christians. Because what would happen was, as soon as people say, we're following Jesus, if their synagogue rejected them, they not only got kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of their families, but they got blotted from the book. 
And when they got blotted from the synagogue's book, the Romans said, you're fair game now. And so, it, like I said last week, it, that kind of brings some context to what, what Jesus said to the church in Sardis when he said to the, him who overcomes, I will not blot out your name from my book. See, they had had their names blotted out from books. He says, I'm not going to blot your name out of my book. And which is, which is something so reassuring. They've had the door of the synagogue shut to them. They've had the door of their families shut to them. But Jesus says, I've got the key of David. And it's important because, you know, some of these churches he writes to are primarily Gentile congregations. But Philadelphia had a large Jewish population that had turned to Jesus. And so that's why the, the synagogue was such a problem for them. Because it was their own people turning against them. And to say I've got the key of David means I've, I've got the right as Messiah. Because when you start using that language, the son of David, the, the key of David, the house of David, you're invoking that ancient belief that the Messiah would be of the house of David. And this is a rule that would reign for thousands of years. God promised David, I'll, I'll build a house from your house. And that government won't have an end. So when Jesus says, I've got the key of David, he's saying, I've got the right to who I let into my city and who I keep out of my city. The Jews said, you're out. I say, you're in. I've placed before you an open door. Now he goes on and he's, he uses some strong language about the synagogue. Notice he does not say this about all Jewish people. But this synagogue was a problem. Because this was one that had firmly taken their stand against the Christians and been actively persecuting them. And guys like Paul knew this very well. Do you remember that Paul had groupies, but not the kind that rock stars have? Paul had groupies that would follow him from town to town and stir up riots against him. And they were from the synagogues he had been to. And so here Jesus says, and he says it in no other letter to the seven churches, but this one, he does say it. He says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue, this is in verse 9, Revelation 3, 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. I will make them know that I have loved you because you've kept the word of my perseverance. I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Before this, remember, he said that you have a little power and he says, you've kept my word. You've not denied my name. Then he goes on and he says, you have kept the word of my perseverance. Tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about what that means to keep that word, to keep his word. I want you to see that he does not say, you did your best to persevere. He doesn't say, you guys have, have done a good job of holding down the fort. He says, you've kept my word. He's, sorry, you've kept the word of my perseverance. That's an important language that we all should hear tonight. Because he is not applauding their perseverance. He said... You've kept the word of my perseverance. If they were hanging on with their perseverance, they would have quit a long time ago. Something that work in them that goes beyond their strength. I've, I've said this to you. This is, a, this is a theme that we've touched on plenty of times before. But I firmly believe that in an hour of affliction or testing or perseverance, it's not the strong that survive. 
It's those that rely on the strength that he provides that survive. Right? right? So, I mean, I've said this before, but, you know, as you study and you look at, at persecuted peoples all over the world that are being persecuted for this faith that we hold tight and we hold precious, it's little kids that refuse to deny Jesus. And strong men that'll break at times. Now, I mean, of course, there's strong men that have kept the name of Jesus and, and things like that. I just got cut. Um, but I will not deny his name, thank God. Um, it's, it's, it's that strength that we're talking about is not, a, is not an outgrowth of your own personality. It's not an outgrowth of your bodily discipline. Because Paul said, bodily discipline has a little profit, but only a little. But godliness... Godliness is a means of great gain. Godliness, he says, godliness will, will, will lead to even eternal life. That, that, that's really what we're looking for. He says, godliness has its benefit in this life and in the age to come. So as we're looking at this, we're saying, okay, they've kept the word of my perseverance. And I want to just ask you a question. He doesn't just say they kept my perseverance. He said they kept the word of my perseverance. They kept the word of my perseverance. This goes back to everything that, that we hold on to. What are we, what are we hanging on to as believers? What are we hanging on to as Christians? What is the source of our faith? Where is our faith coming from? Because really we believe that it is that faith that keeps somebody. It's the faith that holds somebody, right? It's that faith that will cause you to endure. It's faith, not in your faith. It's faith in God. But what is the source of faith? You know, the scripture says in Hebrews that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Some, something, uh, I, I can't have faith in, that's separate from the voice of God. I can't have faith that's separate from the word of God. My faith is tied to what he said, to who he is and what he said. And so when, when he says, you've kept the word of my perseverance, I believe what he's saying is, I, I told you to persevere. I told you how to persevere. You've held on to that. You've kept that. I've used this example several times, but when Joshua was told, be strong and of good courage, I believe that when God said, be strong and of good courage, strength and courage came to Joshua. Right? Because this is God who said, let there be light, and light was. With his word, he created planets. With his word, he created animals. With his word, he created everything there is to be created. He holds it all together with his word. So his word is creative, right? So, so what makes you think that you can do anything that we talk about on a Sunday or Wednesday? What makes you think, what makes you so arrogant as to believe that you can do what we're talking about? Well, it's not arrogance at all. Because if we're preaching the word, and you hear us, you hear me say, you hear me read the scripture that says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, so we love because he first loved us, or whatever. When you hear that, it's not you going home going, I need to try harder to love. Even though I think diligence is good, effort is good. Really what's happening is, you receive the word of God. So he says, I'm giving my love to you. So that you can love with the love that you've been loved. You hear that and you go, okay, I can do that. Through him, I can do everything. So I, I'm going to believe that, right? I don't feel like it. I'm not the most loving of people, maybe you'll say. Or, or there's people that I don't know how to love them because they are so unlovable. But when you receive that word where he says, love them with my love. You receive that word, what's happening? You Faith comes by hearing, 
right? You heard what God said. He said that he'd give me his love. So I cling to that. I hold fast to that. And then when I go out, I practice that. I, I say, okay, I'm going to love this person. I don't know how I'm going to love them. Because they're jerks. or they're, 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 they're the most thorniest, just smelliest people. But I'm going to love them. And probably the most loving thing you could do is not tell them you thought that about them. <laughs> right? I love when Christians, like new Christians, they don't know any better. They just say, you know what? I, I just got to tell you, I had such a hard time loving you because really, I can't stand you. But Jesus gave me a love for you. And they expect that person to be excited. Like, aren't you happy? And that person goes, no, I'm not happy. That doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So maybe don't tell them you had a hard time loving them. But you are letting the word of God work in you. In your faith, that word stirred something in you when you received it. And you said, okay, yeah. That when you go out and you put it into action, all of a sudden you realize it's not my love anymore. I've got love I didn't have. I've got joy I didn't have. I've got peace I didn't have. And it came from hearing. And it came from believing what you heard. So when he says, you kept my word of perseverance, I've got to believe that what he said to them about persevering, they heard. And what they heard, they practiced. And when you practice what you heard in faith, it's not your strength that gets it done. It's God's strength. One of my favorite stories to, to, to throw in this point, and you know because I say it a lot, but one of my favorite examples of this is in Lystra when Paul sees a man who has no strength, never been able to walk, never had the ability to walk, was born a cripple. And Paul begins to preach Jesus. And it's, he, uh, he stops his sermon because he sees, the Bible says he sees that this man had faith to be made whole. So he stops and he says, get up. And it says immediately strength, it says the man leapt to his feet and immediately strength filled his legs and he was healed. So I go through that portion of events, amen. I go through that and I see somebody who heard the word being preached. Now, I don't know what Paul preached, but I imagine he preached Jesus, right? So if he's preaching Jesus, what do you think he's preaching to a bunch of people who've never heard about Jesus? Well, I imagine it would be a lot like Peter who said, you've heard of Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. You know, preaching the message of the gospel, preaching about salvation through Christ, all of these things. And imagine that man is hearing about the miracles Jesus did. And he's saying, wow, Jesus healed crippled people like me. At some point he starts hearing Jesus healed people like me. And then he starts hearing what Jesus if he could heal them, he could heal me. And at some point in his head, I imagine it switches to, well, if he could heal me, will he heal me? And he gets to a place where he goes, Jesus can heal me. Jesus will heal me. And this is the point where Paul stops his message, perceives that this man, it doesn't say he perceives that he has faith to be saved. It says he perceives he has faith to be healed. Well, where did faith come from? Hearing. This guy has got nothing going for him. He's not a Christian. He's not been to Bible school. He's just the guy who's hearing the message for the first time. I'm going, oh, okay. And when he said, he saw that he had faith to be made healed, he stopped and he said, get up. Yes. And when he said, get up, that was a word from the Lord for that man. And that man hears the word from the Lord and he gets up. You know, we, we treat a message 
that's preached from a pulpit or a devotional that you read at home. We treat it like it's somebody just trying to talk you into something. Oh, just believe this. Just do this. Guys, you need to love each other more. You need to be more patient. You need to be happier. Why aren't you happy like me? You know, we, we, we act like it's something you just need to try harder at. But I believe this. Could that man have been talked into walking? Could he? He's never walked in his life. If it were a matter of trying harder, he's tried hard. Trying is not going to help this guy. He needs a miracle, right? right. He doesn't need to try harder. He doesn't need someone to beat him down. He needs a miracle on his legs. And who knows where else, right? When Lazarus is raised from the dead by Jesus' word, Lazarus come forth. I've used this example before, but Jesus did not talk Lazarus into coming back. Lazarus, you're a bum. Your sisters need you. Why would you leave them alone? You're the breadwinner. Lazarus, wake up. Why aren't you a better man? Why do you die so soon? No, he, it was his word. Lazarus, come forth. That word was able to bring a man back from the grave. The word of God has power. But that word has to be received. I've got to believe it. When I think of this word of my perseverance, another translation says word of my patience. I like perseverance because when you study what patience means in the Bible, it's not the patience we think of. We think of patience so often as just, you know, looking at our clock and not, you know, like, I think my order's ready, you know, just not freaking out. But so often in the scripture, patience is perseverance. You keep going. You keep going. Everybody else has given up. You're, you're still going. You're pushing. You're, you're not letting go. Even if you're having to wait, you're still pushing in. You're still, or if, if everybody's trying to get you to quit, like these guys. There's pressure from your family. There's pressure from your synagogue. There's pressure from your government. And they're still going? That's supernatural. Now, we know that that's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? In Galatians, it says that, that long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. That there's that patience as a fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering is a literal translation of the Greek word. It literally says long and suffering. And a lot of us would just say, forget the S word. We don't say that in our house. <laughs> no such thing as suffering here. Long-suffering. That long-suffering sounds so much worse than regular suffering. It's suffering for a long time. But you also have to understand what suffering means in the scripture. It's not just, it's just, not just experiencing pain. It's enduring through it. Yeah. Like, you know, as Paul said to Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. Right? A soldier doesn't go and, and, and doesn't sign on to the military thinking, you know, I'm going to get some new bath bubbles. I, I, I'm probably going to get to play Xbox with my friends. No, a soldier knows this is going to be rough. And there's going to be people shooting at me. I might get injured. Yeah, I might get hurt. You know, it's not going to be the easiest thing I've done in my life. And Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. He's not saying, I want you to suffer. I want you to experience pain. No, he says, keep going. Don't let this stuff, you know, keep going through this stuff. Push through it as a good soldier would. A good soldier doesn't quit the first day. Something's not easy, right? In fact, in fact, he'll be trained to go through things that aren't easy before he has to face the real battle, yeah. right? They'll make him uncomfortable. They'll go out of their way to make that man uncomfortable so that in the day of battle, he doesn't freak out at the first sign of discomfort. He's been ready for it. He's been hardened by it. You know, the, the scripture also talks about discipline, right? That, that discipline that, that makes us 
that, that, that enables us to endure. Hebrews ties it with endurance. It says if you've been disciplined, if you've, if you've let that in, and it's a word that's used for training like a, an Olympian would train. You see those marathon runners? I, I, I hate to tell you, but none of them are Forrest Gump who just love to run. I mean, I'm sure they love to run. But nobody is born with just the innate ability to run. I mean, they're born with the ability to run, but I mean, run those distances. You have to put yourself through that stuff. An Olympian does not wake up at 11 a.m., eat a big breakfast, sit down, watch some DVDs, get up, get some lunch, go lay down. No, they're, they're training. They're putting themselves through something that's not comfortable because in that moment, I want to keep enduring. Well, there's, there's part of that that comes from what God's, he's, he's disciplining us as children. The reason that's even an uncomfortable thing to say is that we have to understand what discipline means in the context of a good father, right? Not as a slave, not as, not as an enemy, as a good father. How do you discipline your kids, right? That answer might differ from throughout. But, you know, how did Jesus treat his disciples is a good example. Disciple is the root word of discipline. So all of this brings you to a place of endurance. I can keep going. But that endurance is not coming from you. It's coming from him. There is a word of perseverance that they've kept. He said persevere. So if he said persevere, we must be able to persevere. If you use that logic, you can do anything. If you say, if God said do it, we can do it. Because if God said do it, he's going to do it through me. My job is to believe, right? So what do we call it when God works through us? We call that grace, right? That's grace. God working through us, doing what we could not do. That's a work of grace. How do you receive grace? How are we saved by grace? Through faith. Faith grabs onto grace, right? Grace is freely offered, but it takes faith to step into it. I believe that. That's how I got saved. The grace of God had appeared for me. The grace of God was there for me, but I, I received it by faith. I believed it, and I acted on my faith. Amen? So as we're seeing this word doing something in us, and we're saying, well, perseverance is a fruit of the Spirit. Well, how do I, how do I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Galatians tells us it's, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit, right? You choose to walk by the Spirit. He says you have a choice. You can walk by the flesh or you can walk by the Spirit. Your choice, you live by the Spirit. You have the ability. You did not have that choice before you got saved. Your unbelieving friend that works at Orange Julius can't just choose to, to have the fruit of the Spirit in their life tomorrow because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God. And because we've, had a, we've been born again, we've got a new spirit within us that looks like Jesus. Yeah. He says in Galatians, you can walk by the flesh, you can walk by the Spirit. Your choice. Now you are saved. You're alive by the Spirit. But now you choose. What am I going to do? So I want to I go back from that. Because that's Galatians 5 and 6. But can we go back to Galatians 3? And I want to show you something. Because you know this is one letter. He says alright. So if, if perseverance of long suffering and patience. Is not a fruit of your willpower. It's not a fruit of your personality. It's a fruit of the Spirit. That means it comes from Him. Well, what does he say is the source of this? How am I going to be able to walk by the Spirit? How am I going to be able to grow in the Spirit in these things? He says in Galatians 3, verse, two, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hear that again. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now he goes on and tells you the fruit of the Spirit. How did you receive the Spirit and all the fruit that goes with that? By working a little harder or by hearing by faith? You had to hear with faith. So it makes more sense now when he says, you kept my word. You've kept the word of my perseverance. The word of my perseverance. I want to ask you if you have his perseverance working in you. You should. His perseverance won't quit. His perseverance is not fragile. His perseverance won't break. His perseverance working through you. What does the scripture say? You should be strengthened with all of his might in the inner man. Strengthened with his power. As God said to Zerubbabel and Zechariah, he said, it is not going to be my might. It's not going to be by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Everyone that overcomes is going to be overcoming through the strength that he provides. That's a powerful thought. So how do I keep his word? Jesus said, if you abide in me and you keep my word, my words will abide in you. I'll abide in you. All of these things come from that. John tells us in 1 John, he tells us that if we keep his command, we keep his word, he says, then we're going to be perfected in his love. Right? So how do I keep his word? How do I keep his word? Is it it following the, the, the 10 steps to doing the right thing? Or is it saying, I've heard his word. I believe that. I'm going to act on that. I mean, he says, if you keep his word, you'll be perfected in his love. His love. See, we reverse the process. And we say, if you will produce apples, you will become an apple tree. But that's silly, isn't it? You go, you go just yell at a Saskatoon bush. You know? <laughs> you Saskatoon bush, if you tried harder, you can be an orange tree. Why don't you produce some oranges? You could change. No, you can't. So, so we kind of have this idea that if I, will, if I will learn somehow, if I will try to love people with the love that Jesus has, if I'll try to imitate his love the best I can, then eventually he'll give me his love. But that's, that's obviously backwards because you can't do that without him. I can't love people with his love until he gives me his love. So how do I love with the love of Jesus? I got to believe the word that he says about me, that I'll give you my love. He says, my love that I have will abide in you. He said, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It says, we love because he first loved us. So when I believe that and I say, okay, I'm, I have his love. Now I'm going to go love people. I'm going to love people, but I'm going to expect that God's love is going to work through me. When you do that, a miracle is happening in you. And you see love and you go, I don't know how I'm doing this. I don't know how I have hope in this situation. I don't know where this joy is coming from. But I know it's his. It's the same thing with this perseverance. You've kept the word of my perseverance. How could you, what would be the other option? What's, how does somebody not keep his word of perseverance? 
I think there's two answers to that. I think number one, you try to persevere in your strength. I think everyone will break if you're trying to do this in your strength. Or number two, you just give up on it and you say, well, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if I can do that. I think every time we get so me-focused, what can I do? We step out of the grace of God and we step back into the work of the flesh. And the work of the flesh has no power in it. I want you to remember the words that the Israelites spoke at the edge of the promised land. They did not say, God's not able. They said, we're not able. They said, we look like grasshoppers to them because we know we look like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we must in their sight. You notice what kept them from stepping in to the promised land that God gave them. And step, I mean, listen, how was God going to give them the promised land? This was not a circumstance where God was going to send angels to wipe everybody out. I'm on a rabbit trail, but it's a good one. Trust me. How did God give them the promise then when they finally got it? With their hands, with their swords, with their arms. But it was God with them that got it done. It was not their strength, it was God's strength. He used people, but he used his power through them. Right? So what are they saying? We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. What did Joshua and Caleb say? If God is with us, he'll give it to us. Those giants will be food to us. When you hang on to the word of his perseverance, you've got to say in the moments that you think this is the, I am the least likely person to keep holding on. Sister so-and-so, brother, who's his name? These people are strong. These people have been through stuff. I'm a wimp. I know I'm a wimp. I can't stand the sight of blood. I, 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 I quit every time I try a job. I'm not good at this. Listen, you got to get over yourself. In fact, stop talking about yourself so much. It's the best thing you can do is just stop talking about you. Yeah, you're unable. But so is the strongest guy in the congregation, the strongest woman in the congregation. We're all unable in our own strength. That's not the point. Have you held on to his word? What does word say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether it's abundance or scarcity, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether no matter, no weapon formed against me will prosper. He says, if I put on the armor of God, I will be able to stand in the evil day. If I believe this, then I go, okay, it's him that keeps me. So you could be the biggest wimp in the world. But if you hold on to the word of his perseverance, you'll keep going. You just keep going. Everybody else quits. You're still going. Because you've held on to the word of his perseverance. I'm going to persevere with his perseverance. I'm going to let his patience work in me. I'm going to let his joy work in me. I'm going to let his peace work in me. I'm going to let his love work in me. All of these things because I heard that he said he would do that through me and I believe that. You've kept my word. You've kept my word. How do we as believers hold on tight to his word? First thing you got to do is just simply believe it. Hear it and believe it and act on it. That's how you keep the word. You know, another way you keep the word, you don't get fooled into thinking that you're doing it yourself and let go of the word that got you there. Know what I mean? You know, you remember some of you who came out of a really tough background. And and I don't know, everybody's, even people that you don't think came from a tough background might have come from a tough background. But we all got saved by the same grace. Amen? We all needed the same cross, you know? 
I, if Jesus had just had to die for me, it wouldn't be like, well, he could have had a lethal injection for me, but he needed to brutally die for you. No, all of our sin was equal. It was worthy of that death, and he, he did that for me. But some of you came from a background where it was like the most basic things were difficult, right? Like, I'm just trying not to do this. I mean, like, you guys are talking about um, going to other countries and praying for people. I'm just trying not to shoot up, or I'm just trying not to hit my kids, or I'm just trying not to lose my temper because I do it all the time. Maybe that was the beginning, and you remember... That when you began walking, you learned that Christ in me is my hope of glory. So Christ in me is going to keep me from all that stuff. And hey, I can do this through, through Christ. I can quit this through Christ. I can, I can accomplish this through Christ. I can love through Christ. You, you began to believe that, and then you saw your life change. Now, the only real big obstacle in your path is when you get to a certain point where now those things aren't issues anymore and you think you can just cruise control through life because I'm not tempted with that anymore. So now I got this. Thank you, Jesus. I needed you, but now I got this. I have built up my big boy muscles. I can do this now. Thank you for the training wheels. I'm good. He is not a training wheel. He's not a vitamin supplement. He's not a last resort. He's everything. And everything we do is through Christ. So the worst thing you can do is to begin to believe you're competent in your own strength. Right? The best thing you can do is say, I can do all things through Christ. But apart from him, I could do nothing. And so if I, how am I going to hang on to his word? I'm going to, the very thing that saved me is the thing that's going to keep me. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to say, if he saved me, he's able to sanctify me and keep me and, and keep me walking in him. That I'm going to keep hanging on to everything he said I can do because it's him doing it through me. I'm hanging on to that word. In Philippians 2, he tells them, he says, you guys are like stars shining. You're in a wicked and perverted world. And he doesn't say, get out. Like, God's not trying to rescue you from a perverted world. He's trying to rescue the perverted world through you. Right? So he, Jesus said in John 17, I don't ask that you take them out. I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one. So he says, you are in a wicked and perverse generation, wicked, perverted world, in which you shine like stars in the universe, holding fast the word of life. Holding fast the word of life. Holding on to the word that got you there. What's going to keep you? It's the same word that saved you. It's that incorruptible seed within you. Right? There's power in that. Why did the church in Philadelphia keep going when it became really hard to keep going? When the synagogue kicked them out. When the family kicked them out. When the empire was against them. Why did it become where, where this small group of people, I believe they were small because of the way that Jesus spoke to them. He said, you have a little power. And I don't think he meant that they were a big group with only a little power. I think he meant that, that they were a small group with, with real power. He says, you have a little power. You've not denied my name. You kept my word. And then he says, because you have kept my, the word of my perseverance, now I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. I just believe that if he spoke his word, and I treat that as a creative word. You know, when God called me to be a pastor, it was the last thing on my mind, right? But if he called me to be a pastor, he can make me a pastor. 
I can't learn how to be a pastor. I, can learn, I need to learn things. But only one person can make me that because it's, it's a work of grace. So it has to be through him, right? So whatever you're doing for the Lord has to be done. He has to do this in you. So I, I know there's been people that, you know, somebody says to them, I see this. I believe God would say to you that you're going to do this. And they go, nah, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, if it's God... And whether it spoke through your time in the Bible or whether it's in a message like this or whether someone spoke it to you by the Spirit of God, if God said it to you and put it in your heart, the moment he spoke it to you, something was created in you. Right? When he anointed David to be king, David became anointed to be king. If that makes any sense. David was not king. He didn't have the power to be king. He didn't have the strength to be king until God put it on him. He had to believe that about himself. He had to believe that if God makes me king, I'll be king. Right? So when God says, I, I call you a son, I call you a daughter, I, I, you will love with my love. You will persevere with my perseverance. You will be strong with my strength. When he says that to you, the moment you receive it, you hear it, and you believe it, something was created in you just like a planet was created when he spoke it. It's the same creative force. His word creates stuff. And if his word can create universes, then his word can certainly create something in me. And you just got to keep that word. How do you keep it? Keep believing it and keep walking in it. That's how you keep the word. That's how you hang on tight to that word, right? I'm going to keep on. I'm going to hang on. Hold fast to the word of life. Hang on to the very thing that got you here. Dance with the one that brung you. Whatever you want to say, keep on trucking. But I guarantee you, at the end of the day, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in North America in the next hundred years. I don't know. But if it got real bad here, you might be surprised at the people that are still walking. Right? Yeah. You'd be surprised at the people that are hanging on, doing miracles, and hanging on, believing God when their whole family walked away. You might be surprised at who you see, because it's not going to be the people that look the toughest. It's going to be the people that hung on to his strength. Amen. Amen. Kept his word of his perseverance. And he's got that for all of us. There's nobody he picked. Thank God he's not a respecter of persons. He did not pick favorites and say, hey, I want to I wanna let this guy have some of my strength. I want to let this lady, but not the rest of you. He offers it to all of us. We get just to walk in it. We just got to believe his word and walk in it, right? It's by faith we receive that. So he says here, and just to close with that thought, he said, how did you receive the spirit? It was by hearing with faith. He says that the problem with the Israelites, in Hebrews it says this, that they did not mix their hearing with faith. So what, what, what could that be the parallel for us? If we keep hearing and learning, but never actually believing. Never believing it's for me. Just learning it, but not believing it's for me. Not really saying that's for me. He can do that through me. I want you to believe that about it. I want you to believe that about everything he says about you. Even if you never had that before, there's not a personality test in the world that can tell you who you are in Christ. It's just the word here that tells you. This is what tells you. If you believe that, you'll be all that he calls you to be. Would you stand up?